If you have the limiting belief that women have to accept weight gain as a normal function of aging, then you need to listen up to this episode because that is a lie. So the big question is, how do women over 40 like us keep weight off, have great energy, balance our hormones and our moods, feel sexy and confident and master midlife? If you're like most of us, you're not getting the answers you need and remain confused and pretty hopeless to ever feel like yourself again. As an OBGYN, I had to discover for myself the truth about what creates a rock-solid metabolism, lasting weight loss, and supercharged energy after 40 in order to lose 100 pounds and fix my fatigue. Now, I'm on a mission. This podcast is designed to share the natural tools you need for impactful results and to give you clarity on the answers to your midlife metabolism challenges. Join me for tangible natural strategies to crush the hormone imbalances you're facing and help you get unstuck from the sidelines of life. My name is Dr. Kieran Dunstan. Welcome to the Hormone Prescription Podcast. Hi, beautiful. Welcome back to the Hormone Prescription Podcast. It's Dr. Kieran. I hope you're having an amazing day. My guest today says, I do not believe, nor do I support the limiting belief that women have to accept weight gain as a normal function of aging. Her name is Cynthia Thurlow, and I totally agree with this statement. So we're going to correct your faulty beliefs and help you open up to what's actually possible for you at Midlife and Beyond in this episode. Cynthia is going to help you understand what intermittent fasting is, how to do it properly, and the top mistakes you might be making that could keep you stuck with your weight. But she is going to mostly give you hope and the knowledge that a healthy, optimal weight at every age is possible for you. So I'll tell you a little bit about her and then we'll get started. Cynthia Thurlow is the CEO and founder of the Everyday Wellness Project, nurse practitioner, international speaker, and globally recognized expert in intermittent fasting and nutritional health. Her TEDx talk, Intermittent Fasting, a Transformative Technique, has over 10 million views. Cynthia has been featured on ABC, Fox, CW, and in Medium, an entrepreneur. And in August 2020, she was listed in Yahoo Finance as one of the 21 founders changing the way we do business. She's also the podcast host of Everyday Wellness, which was listed as 21 podcasts to expand your mind in 2021 by Business Insider. Cynthia's mission is to educate women on the benefits of intermittent fasting and overall holistic health and wellness so they feel empowered to live their most optimal lives. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the newly rebranded The Hormone Prescription Podcast. Welcome to my new platform. We've got your natural solutions for women over 40 to lose weight, regain energy, and thrive at midlife and beyond. I am super excited to have this special guest on to welcome you to the newly branded podcast because I think she really exemplifies what we're going to be highlighting for you going forward, which is actionable solutions that get to balancing your hormones so that you can feel as good as possible in your own skin. Her name is Cynthia Thurlow. Some of you remember her from the Stop the Menopause Madness Summit because you loved her. So I said, Cynthia, please come on the podcast and share your brilliance and your inspiration with everybody because it 
totally relates to hormone balance. And we're going to get into why that is today. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about her and then we'll get started. So Cynthia Thurlow is the CEO and founder of the Everyday Wellness Project. She's a nurse practitioner, international speaker, and globally recognized expert in intermittent fasting and nutritional health. She has over 20 years of experience in health and wellness, and she's a two-time TEDx speaker. And her second talk on intermittent fasting, a transformative technique, has over 8 million views. Cynthia has been featured on ABC, Fox 5, KTLA, CW, and in Medium, an entrepreneur. And in August 2020, Cynthia was listed in Yahoo Finance as one of the 21 founders changing the way we do business. She's also the podcast host of Everyday Wellness, which was listed as 21 podcast to expand your mind in 2021 by Business Insider. Cynthia's mission is to educate women on the benefits of intermittent fasting and overall holistic health and wellness so they feel empowered to live their most optimal lives. Welcome, Cynthia. Thank you. I've really been looking forward to our conversation. Me too. So, you know, the hormone prescription is all about hormones. That's my favorite topic in the world. And I know everybody listening is saying, okay, intermittent fasting, what does that have to do with hormones? So why don't we start there? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I, I think that from a very physiologic, you know, bare bone perspective, when I think about balancing hormones, I really think about balancing insulin. And when we are eating, our insulin is up appropriately so to help shuttle blood sugar into our cells. But in our very westernized culture where we are encouraged to eat many meals and snacks and be drinking sugar-sweetened beverages all day long, our insulin never has an opportunity to really lower in a beneficial way. And so when I'm talking to women in particular, especially those that are struggling in perimenopause and menopause, Part of that is the awareness that when we are eating with frequency, we are never getting to a point where we're able to tap into fat stores. I remind people all the time when we're eating, our body is not actively breaking down fats for store, for energy. And so we really have to be strategic about when we're eating, how frequently we're eating, because insulin is considered to be one of the bigger hormones that governs so many other processes in the body. And when I talk about balancing hormones, I really like to start with insulin because so many of the population, I think the last statistic I was talking with Dr. Casey Means about this, 88% of the given population is now metabolically unhealthy, meaning insulin resistant, diabetic, obese, overweight. And so this is why I feel like in so many ways, it's so critically important for us to teach our patients, teach our clients that if we really wanna harness balancing hormones and not just sex hormones, because I know that's a lot of you know your area of focus, we have to talk about insulin, we have to talk about cortisol, we have to talk about oxytocin. And so I really like to focus on educating people about the insulin piece. As I remind them, I'm like, when we're not eating, we're kind of, we should be ideally tapping into some of the stored areas of energy in the body. And managing insulin is, is really critically important for metabolic health, for hormonal health, for our sanity. I always say, once you can master insulin, 
on so many levels, it makes it much easier to manage all the other downstream effect hormones that come and originate from that. Yes, I know insulin is so important. And it's interesting because I'm an OBGYN, when people talk to me about hormone balancing, they think that the first thing I'm going to say is about sex hormones. And it's not, mm -hmm. it's always about insulin. Yeah. I always say that insulin is the thread that leads into the knotted ball of yarn that is your hormones. And I find that because most people aren't aware of this, they're so focused on, oh, I just, it's about, should I have bioidenticals or not? And they don't even know to look at the insulin. But if I tell them, if you don't get the insulin right, you're never going to get the sex hormones right. So how did you come to focus on intermittent fasting as the brilliant tool to leverage insulin balance. How did that happen for you? Well, I think it started from a place of just intellectual curiosity. I had a, a point in 2015 when I had multiple people, just the lay public, it wasn't even colleagues that mentioned it to me within a given week. And I thought to myself, you know, this is the universe telling me it's time to consider an alternative to, you know, the way that I myself am meeting. I was feeling like I was getting stuck. You know, I was really at that point of perimenopause and Let's be clear, I learned little to no information on perimenopause, even as an NP, even at a leading you know, medical institution where I trained. And so as I was kind of falling into this wall of perimenopause and realizing what I was doing was no longer serving or working for me, I considered fasting and I felt so good almost immediately eating less often and skipping breakfast that I was like, I'm really onto something. And then I started integrating the work with my patients and, you know, really talking to friends and family about it and just really explaining that I think this is the way our bodies are designed to thrive. It's completely contrary to everything I learned in my training, as well as what I used to tell my patients in cardiology, which makes me cringe. But I always say now I know better. And so I do better. And that really started the process. It started out with me, my N of one, you know, really starting as me as a middle-aged woman and finding great success with it and then encouraging my patients to consider doing it. And then it really became a snowball effect. And on so many levels, I became quite outspoken about the kind of methodology and, and a lot of the misinformation that we have literally been fed by, you know, well-meaning, I want to believe well-meaning individuals in the health and wellness space you know, other healthcare professionals. And I would just say, you know, let's think about this. Let's like, let's really look at the research. Let's really look at what some other people are doing within this space. And I stumbled upon a book by Jason Fung and, and that for me satisfied my nerdy kind of, you know, Western, traditional Western medicine mindset of this is a, a physician in this space who's using this with his patients is having great success. And so that, that felt very aligned on so many levels that, Another healthcare professional, especially a physician colleague, was advocating, talking about it, talking about the science, breaking it down in a way that made it very, very easy to understand. And then I fully embraced it and said, okay, a lot of people are going to think I'm crazy, but I'm okay with that because I, I really think this is... This is what we should be teaching our patients. We are not encouraging our patients to consider that eating frequently is contributing to weight gain and insulin resistance and other hormonal imbalances, not to mention the fact 
you know, we're eating on average. I think the statistic I read was that 16 to 17 times a day, people are consuming a sugar-sweetened beverage or consuming food. And is it any wonder we have such profound rates of metabolic inflexibility, obesity, et cetera. And, you know, it's not just the adults. We're seeing this in younger and younger individuals, you know, not just young adults, not just teenagers, but in children. There was a, a news article I was reading the other day, and it was talking about the rates of obesity in children. I think it was from Kaiser talking about the rates of obesity that have increased. I think it was 25% just during the pandemic alone. And so on so many levels, it's like we need to start really looking more carefully at what we're eating, how frequently we're eating, and start making some changes. And this is sustainable. This is the way our bodies are designed to thrive and not just survive middle age and beyond. Yeah, I think that's so important. And yes, I'm okay with people thinking I'm crazy too. Uh, <laughs> it's in the service of us all being healthier. and all new concepts were at one point thought to be insanity before they became mainstream, like the fact that the solar system does not revolve around the Earth and that the Earth is not flat. <laughs> People <laughs> were put to death for those concepts yeah. at the beginning, and now we take them for granted. So I think it's true about the frequency of eating. So we talked about how the frequency of eating can control and program your insulin negatively if you eat too frequently. What about the benefits to cortisol? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times we do fasting or have patients undergo a fast of various types to decrease their exposure to the antigenicity or allergens in food. Can you talk a little bit about how intermittent fasting might help with cortisol regulation? Mm -hmm. And this is kind of the, the N of one. This is really highly dependent because cortisol can be well balanced by, you know, changing your macros, you know, focusing on protein and healthy fats versus a carbohydrate dense diet. Cortisol can be managed by, you know, in, ensuring we're getting high quality sleep and we're managing our stress. But I find for a lot of individuals, there's a little bit of experimentation with regard to cortisol balancing because it's what our body perceives as a stressor. You know, we talk about hormetic stress, you know, any too much of any one thing can be too much stress for the body. Too little stress is not opportunistic. And so I think it's really important to kind of experiment, meaning when someone's new to intermittent fasting, their sweet spot may be 12 or 13 hours. And that is fine as a starting point to managing and mitigating cortisol. But cortisol in terms of meal frequency, we know that we do get some negligible impact on cortisol when we eat, but that should come back down. Again, it's the food choices we're making along with intermittent fasting that can have a supportive role for balancing cortisol. So again, I was touching on the, you know, I, I'm a huge advocate of animal-based protein, but protein first, adding in some healthy fat if appropriate, and then high quality carbohydrates. So if you're someone that's eating a standard American diet, highly processed, hyper palatable foods that we know are not beneficial for even gut or immune function, you're gonna get a much more negative impact on your cortisol levels than someone that's eating a piece of steak with some broccoli and maybe you're adding some butter to your broccoli. You're gonna have a much more stable blood sugar, which is gonna have a much more stable impact on cortisol. The other piece of that is really talking to people about, and I, I remind people of this all the time, high quality sleep, managing our stress proactively. And that doesn't mean that you one day out of the week walk outside in nature. It's 
proactively every day, thinking strategically about how you are going to manage and mitigate those lifestyle pieces because they have such a profound impact on our cortisol levels. And I know that when I was younger, probably in my 20s and 30s, I didn't meditate, I didn't walk in nature, I wasn't focused on sleep quality, but I can assure you that every single day when I'm working with patients, I'm sure it's much the same way with you as well. When I'm talking to women, those are the things I'm talking about because that along with eating less frequently can help balance that insulin response along with cortisol. Cortisol is not a bad hormone. I remind people that we have, I think, 40 times more receptors for cortisol in our abdomen. So when someone talks about being stressed and they get a cortisol belly, I said, that is always validation that you need to manage and mitigate the stress response more proactively than you are doing. Cortisol is not all bad. Insulin is not all bad. It's all about this kind of seesaw effect of finding balance, finding the way that your body needs to interact with these hormones or you know how your lifestyle impacts these hormones and balancing them and we know that you hit a sweet spot with cortisol when you know your cortisol response is buffered we know it's highest when we wake up in the morning ideally should ebb and flow throughout the day and lowest at night telling our bodies it's time to go to bed and we get this uptick in melatonin another key hormone but I like to remind people that there are things that we can do throughout the day that can help manage cortisol and there are things we can do throughout the day that can can dysregulate cortisol in a non-beneficial way. I'll give the listeners an example. One thing I think is super important is to get sunlight exposure first thing in the morning. On so many levels, it's reminding your body, you know, we're suppressing melatonin, we're increasing cortisol, our bodies are meant to get up in the morning and get moving. Sunlight exposure without sunglasses. I know even walking through my neighborhood, how many people I see with sunglasses on at even seven, eight o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, the best thing you can do is give your retinas exposure to sunlight. It just kind of reminds your body in a very gentle way that it's time to get up and get moving. Hugely beneficial and impactful. But I think that, you know, when we talk about cortisol in relation to fasting, it's finding that happy place for your body. Some people can fast for days and, you know, they will have a profound impact on cortisol levels. Others can't fast quite as long. I would say it's like you have to put your training wheels on as it pertains to intermittent fasting, finding where your body thrives with a schedule and then slowly maybe opening up that fasting window. So it's really highly bio-individual, really highly you have to be intuitive with your body to see what is, you know, what is impacting your fight or flight response. We know most people in the United States and westernized countries are sympathetic dominant. So they are in this kind of heightened sense of stress and like their bodies are getting ready to run a marathon all the time. And our bodies can't distinguish between, you know, how our bodies thrived when we had to go out and, and kill our food and bring it home versus sitting in traffic, arguing about politics, arguing about, you know, could be any number of things, but the stress from day to day existence can have a huge net impact on our cortisol levels. So I think there's kind of a multi-pronged approach to cortisol in terms of how that can work with intermittent fasting successfully. I love how you're describing this very intricate dance that we women have to navigate, not only externally with our relationships, our finances, our jobs, but we have this internal dance that I bet a lot of women listening weren't even aware of was happening and we have to learn how to navigate that. So constantly having this conversation, and I literally have this conversation in my head all the time going on about 
What did you eat? Have you had enough green veggies? Have you had enough red veggies? Have you had enough sunlight? Take your sunglasses off. You need to see the sunrise. <laughs> like if someone lived in my head, they'd probably think I was crazy because I think that I have the voice of health sitting on my shoulder and she's constantly helping me navigate my environment. And how much did you eat? What time did you eat? I want to back up a little bit. I just realized we jumped into intermittent fasting and hormones and there are probably some people who are going, what? Intermittent fasting? I'm not (laughs) not eating. And so I think it's important. Could you just give a brief primer on what intermittent fasting is, the basics. I know your book is coming out that goes into great detail. And I know you talk about it on your podcast, but for everybody who's unfamiliar, could you please give a little primer? Absolutely. So fasting really represents eating less often. It doesn't mean you don't eat at all. It just means that you are skipping one meal out of the day. And and I know, again, it goes back to this conditioning that we have been exposed to throughout our lifetimes that we have to eat mini meals and we have to snack. And I'm here to tell you that your body is designed to feed off of fat stores in our bodies. We really do have the primer already there, but much like the analogy that I like to use from Jason Fung, and I wanna give him full credit, we talk about a refrigerator and we have to allow our bodies time to access what's in the freezer, but we have to eat what's in the refrigerator first. And so many times when we're talking about intermittent fasting, it's training our bodies to go longer periods of time without eating. It doesn't mean we're starving. We are still getting you know, two, maybe three meals, depending on what your feeding window is. And you can drink lots of water, plain coffee, bitter teas, et cetera, while you're fasted. But it's really retraining your body to intrinsically tap into fat stores for energy. Fat is a superior source of fuel in the body. But we've been conditioned to believe that we need carbs, carbs, carbs. And I'm here to tell you it's all about balance. Every person listening probably has a very unique blueprint for what works best for their body. But we are designed, our human species would not have been able to sustain itself throughout history if we did not understand, if our bodies couldn't intrinsically tap into fat stores for fuel because there's this whole feast famine concept. Our bodies very often would eat and maybe we might not have food for a day or two. So if our bodies could not thrive in this unfed state, we wouldn't be here. You know, we would have died off many years ago. Mm-hmm. So when I talk about intermittent fasting, it truly is eating less often. There are many, many ways to do it. I generally, when I'm first speaking to people, I encourage them to just do 12 hours of not eating. And that sounds like an overwhelming kind of concept. If you eat dinner at six o'clock at night and you don't consider eating again until the following morning, but that means you're not snacking in the evening, you're really kind of going along with chronobiology or the way that our bodies are designed to eat when it's light out and to not eat when it's dark out, to not be eating three to four hours prior to bedtime. I would encourage most people, even if you experiment and do nothing else, eat your last meal before it gets dark. Easier said than done once we have daylight savings and don't eat again until the sun comes up. You will feel like a new human being. We have been conditioned to believe that we need to have three meals a day and snacks, that we can't go more than a few hours without eating, that that sugar sweetened beverage or fatty coffee is providing lots of benefits to us. I'm here to tell you, most if not all of us would really benefit from eating less often, not just from the perspective of supporting digestion, 
tapping into this waste and recycling process in our body called autophagy, which I could completely geek out on just that topic <laughs> alone. But the benefits of mental clarity, because insulin, remember we talked about that earlier, insulin levels remain low. And if they're low, we tap into using these superior forms of for cognition. You know, there's something nerdy called beta hydroxybutyrate, but it's this, it's this preferential fuel that our brains really love. And people will say, oh my gosh, I never realized how much I could get done in an unfed state. And so really it's that increased awareness around how do I do it? What are the benefits? I feel so much better. I can reinforce the behavior. And then it becomes something that people are like, I wanna do this forever. I feel so good. I have so much energy. I'm sleeping better. I'm less bloated. So really it starts with eating less often, finding a feeding and fasting window that works well for you and your lifestyle and really embracing it. So you mentioned that fat is a superior fuel source. Can you help everyone understand why that is? Yeah. So when you think about the fact that we have, you know, we want metabolic flexibility. So we want our body to be able to use carbohydrates and to use fats as a fuel source. And we want this to be interchangeable. I don't want anyone thinking I'm saying that you can't use carbohydrates as a fuel source. But we know that if you think about fuel sources, like carbohydrates are like the kindling. You're starting a fire, they burn quickly. You use them up quickly. They don't provide sustained energy. Someone that primarily is a, is a sugar burner, we use the kind of layman's expression, they're people that need to eat frequently because they don't feel good when they're hungry. They have low energy, they have low blood sugar, they get hangry, they get cranky. They really focus and perseverate over food intake because they just aren't giving their bodies the macronutrients that they need to be able to go longer. Whereas when you're building a fire and you're thinking about fat as a superior source of fuel, it's those big logs you put on a fire. They're gonna burn longer. You're gonna have sustained energy. You're gonna have great mental clarity. These are people who generally lose weight much more easily because they're not getting these, these ebb and flows of insulin and glucose response. Remember, I, I mentioned that we wanna keep insulin stable. You know, you have a meal, insulin increases, it comes back down, it's very stable. It increases a little bit, it comes back down with your next meal. So we want to have a combination of carbohydrates and fats in our diet as, a, as preferred uses of fuel, but we really wanna focus on tapping into fat stores. And I remind people, I'm not necessarily talking about everyone adding more fat to their diet. I'm talking about using stored fat as energy. This is really critically important because most, if not all of us, have plenty of stored fat to use for energy. We wanna tap into that first. Remember I talked about the freezer analogy that Jason Fung does so beautifully, but we wanna tap into those fat stores for energy because we know our body can go longer without eating. We're gonna have sustained energy. We can get through that work project. We can get through a speech. We can get through a workout and we feel great. We are going to be in a position where degree of mental clarity and the degree of consistent energy is going to reinforce those habits but we really have to be diligent about retraining our bodies. I always say it's like going back to kindergarten or first grade, got to put the training wheels back on. We have to remind our bodies, this is how we are designed to thrive. And this is where it is so important that we start from a position like you want to have small wins before you're you know, getting to a point where you're like, I can go 16 hours, 20 hours without eating. 
like obviously you and I have been doing this for a while. So we took our training wheels off. We can ride our bike without our body bike without having to worry about having those on board. But when someone's new to learning a new concept, learning a new lifestyle change, you may have to be a little more conservative and that is totally okay. And I, I think that unfortunately on social media, as it pertains to fasting as a strategy, there's a lot of comparisonitis and I hear it in my groups. I hear it when I'm on social media and I'm like, don't worry about what anyone else is doing. Focus on what works for you and your body. You want it to be a sustainable strategy in order to make it sustainable. We need to be able to integrate it slowly into our lifestyle, make those changes. And then you're going to get to a point. It's going to be second nature. Yeah, it is a process. And at first it can be challenging. And I think that it is very individual. Even for myself, I do best if I eat my first meal around noon and then my feeding window is eight hours. So I eat later than most people, which isn't recommended, but my body likes it. So no, bioindividuality rules. It's so important to embrace what works best for you. Let's geek out on autophagy for a second. (laughs) I know some people heard that and they're thinking, what is that? And do I need it? And I'd love it if you could tell them what it is and why they probably do want it. Yeah, no. So it's a, the easiest way to explain it is it's a waste and recycling process in the body that is really potentiated when we're in a fasted state. So if you're not giving your body breaks from eating, then you lose out on the opportunity to get rid of diseased and disordered cells. And I think about precancerous cells. I think about, you know, mitochondria, which are the powerhouses of the cells that are kind of diseased and deformed. And for anyone that's north of 40, we all have dysfunctional mitochondria. That is part of the aging process. But why not tap into the intrinsic way our body can go in and scavenge up stuff that we don't need? It's like taking out the trash. That's the best analogy I can come up with. Give your body the opportunity to go in and pull out these waste and recycling products and get rid of them. It's like an ejection button. And it's really only is potentiated when we're not eating. So that's why it's so important to not be eating 16 or 17 times a day. It's much better to eat two or three times a day and really be mindful of what you are consuming liquid wise throughout the day as well. So waste and recycling process in the body, our bodies are designed to do this naturally, but if we are eating more frequently, we shut it off or we turn it down. It's almost like it it gets amplified when we're fasted and it gets turned down. There's all these mechanisms in the body. There's another mechanism called mTOR. And so when we eat, our body goes into kind of, it's built, it's in a building phase. And so we want to find balance between these physiologic processes, but autophagy is one of the coolest things that happens or gets turned up and amplified when we are not in a fed state. And I think it's so, so important for people to understand and be comfortable with that term because it's a term that, that this is the way our bodies are designed to thrive. And in this kind of situation where we have such escalating rates of, you know, metabolic disease and cancer, et cetera. It is so, so important that we are doing everything we can to really prime our bodies to do, to, to function the way that they should optimally and existing in a chronically overfed state is really disrupting some of these benefits that you're really going to miss out on. Right. As I'm listening to you speak, I'm thinking that's so un-American, Cynthia Thurlow, to say that. (laughs) (laughs) I know. We Americans, you know, food, food, and more food, food snacks, food in the morning, food for celebrations, food, food, food. And we literally are always putting food in our mouths, but our gut really and our hormonal system does need that rest, just like we have to rest our body. I love how you say 
I do not believe, nor do I support the limiting belief that women have to accept weight gain as a normal function of aging. I'm wondering when you came to that conclusion and if you have been surprised by people's reaction mm -hmm. to that statement. I probably came to that when I hit perimenopause. Like I, I feel like I ran into a wall. I was doing all the wrong things, probably not getting enough sleep, over-exercising, probably eating too restrictive of a diet without even realizing it. It's just as my body was transitioning, I needed to change the, the things I was doing. I worked for a very, very demanding cardiology practice as an NP. I just recall and it, it makes me, it still to this day makes me cringe when you're five foot three, five or 10 pounds makes a big difference in how your clothes fit, how you feel about yourself. And so my husband, who's a wonderful man, and my primary care provider both said to me separately, maybe this is just the way things are because you're 44 years old. And nothing could have made me more angry and frustrated. And I said, this is not something I will accept. And it was less about the weight gain. It was more about why am I gaining weight and why can't we figure out what is driving this? And so it was probably right at that time. And that has just gotten potentiated over the last six years. I just had a big birthday this summer. I turned 50. And I remember explaining to someone, I said, people's perception of what 50 looks like is so different than the view that you and I have. You know, we're at the 20,000 you know, foot, like we're looking down, like not down, but we're looking at a broad subset of the population and saying, unfortunately, we are, there are a lot of people that are just very accepting that the changes that happen with age, and some of them are, are going to happen, like sarcopenia, this muscle loss with aging and bone loss and, and a lot of other things that just don't work as efficiently. It's like, you know, I'm driving a middle-aged car now, and so I have to be a little bit more careful and tender in how I treat it. But it's also this concept of, you know, let's re-engineer the mindset, let's re-engineer the reframing of what aging looks like, what healthy aging looks like, because we don't have to embrace or accept someone saying to us, you know, we haven't really done a good job figuring out what allows women to thrive at a certain stage. So we're gonna focus on younger women, we're gonna put you all out to pasture and let you figure it out. And so I don't want any woman listening to suffer in silence because I cannot tell you, and I hear it from my college girlfriends, my high school girlfriends, my girlfriends that I've made over the last 10, 15 years, that they just go, well, you know, this is just the way things are. Heck to the no. I don't want anyone to have poor quality sleep to feel like gaining weight is a normal physiologic thing that's gonna happen to them, that all of a sudden they can't manage their stress, they don't feel sexy and vibrant, and I feel like in our space, we know so many women that are just thriving in middle age that I want that for everyone. And, and there are definitely ways to make that happen. But yeah, that stemmed from comments that my primary care provider and my wonderful loving husband who didn't realize what he was saying, but I said, it actually made me angry. I was like, I can just feel it in my body as I'm saying it. I don't want any woman to feel or to be told that, that they just have to accept weight gain or inflammation or inflammaging or changes they don't like about their body, they just have to accept it. It's like, heck to the no, like there's just no way I'm going to, I'm gonna not go down fighting. Like I want every woman to feel empowered and to feel knowledgeable and be able to make decisions so that they can advocate for their best life at this stage and beyond. Amen, sister. <laughs> Amen, heck to the no, yes. That statement has always made me angry too. I think that 
those of us who went into the healing arts did so for a reason and mm -hmm. it really was to help people and that we have this foundational belief i know that i have it that we deserve mm -hmm. optimal thriving beautiful vibrant health at every age and that it's possible so i don't subscribe to this fallacy that it's quote unquote normal for your age to be overweight, normal for your age to be tired and want to take a nap, normal for your age to not have a sex drive, normal for your age for your hair to fall out, none of that. So I wholeheartedly support you in this statement and I love it. I love that you're educating women about intermittent fasting. We've talked a little bit today about how it helps to balance your insulin, which is that loose thread on the knotted ball of yarn that is your hormones. We've talked a little bit about how it helps to calm your cortisol and soothe it. And your cortisol is one of the main programmers of your weight and energy, your immune system function. So thank you for helping everybody learn to speak hormone so that they can make this time one of the best times of their life. And thank you so much. I know you've got free gifts for everyone. We will have the link in the show notes. Do you want to tell them what kind of goodies they're going to find there? Yeah, well, I know that we have an anti-inflammatory recipe book, which I think is really important. A lot of what I talk about with women is that certain things no longer serve us in middle age. And, and I know that I get this wah, wah, wah from people that don't want to hear it, but it could be that you no longer tolerate gluten. It could be that it's dairy. It could be grains and so really, or processed sugars or alcohol for that matter. And so thinking about an anti-inflammatory diet can be hugely beneficial. I believe we also included some tips and tricks on how to fast successfully because I think that on many, many levels, a very basic understanding of fasting is really a catapult to greater things. On so many levels, I love that we share the desire for women to feel empowered and not feel lost, lost in a drift at sea, if you will. I had a recent client who was telling me that she felt like she was out on a boat in the middle of the ocean and that no one was coming out to, to her SOS, mm -hmm. that she was really feeling frustrated. So on many, many levels, it's really designed, you know, anti-inflammatory cookbook, it's an ebook, and then also some basic information on fasting that hopefully will be really, really helpful for anyone that's interested in, in trying those things out. Awesome. Thank you so much for those gifts. Thank you for sharing this very valuable, important information with us today, Cynthia. No, thank you so much for having me. And I'll definitely have to uh, keep you abreast on the book. It sounds like it's March of... 2022 that the book will be out on intermittent fasting in women can't wait to see it i saw the cover it is beautiful i hope you went with the clock that's made out of flowers we've gone back and forth there were like two that i you know on some days i want to go towards the other one that's more food related and then you know so it's i haven't made I, it's going to be a game day call i just keep telling my editor <laughs> that it's going to be like i'm going to wake up in the morning and it's just going to come to me so yeah it's really exciting i'm i'm feeling very grateful and knowing it'll help a lot of people and, and that makes my heart very full. Yes, well, thank you so much for sharing this important information. We will look for the book and I know it's gonna be super successful. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much for listening. I know that incredible vitality occurs for women over 40 when we learn to speak hormone and balance these vital regulators to create the health and the life that we deserve. 
If you're enjoying this podcast, I'd love it if you'd give me a review and subscribe. It really does help this podcast out so much. You can visit thehormoneprescription.com where we have some free gifts for you. And you can sign up to have a hormone evaluation with me on the podcast to gain clarity into your personal situation. Until next time, remember, take small steps each day to balance your hormones and watch the wonderful changes in your health that begin to unfold for you. Talk to you soon.